Good morning. Is everybody ready? This is part three of a uh, three-part series, guardrails. A guardrail is a system to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. Where do we need guardrails? Bridges. When we are in a place where there is little margin for error. Medians. When we are close to people going in the opposite direction. Curves. When we encounter unexpected changes in conditions. Guardrails are not located in the most dangerous place. That place is just beyond the guardrail. Rather, guardrails are actually located in a place of safety to keep us from moving into dangerous areas. Guardrails are a margin of error, functioning as a warning signal. There's some danger done, or there's some damage done if you hit a guardrail, but not nearly as much as if the guardrail wasn't there. Guardrails take the impact, and you have a small crash instead of a large one. When you hit a physical guardrail, you stop before you hit the ditch. When you hit a moral guardrail, you stop before you commit sin. A guardrail can be a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. In effect, breaking your rule bothers you and brings you guilt. In the first part of the series, Brother Eric talked about living intentionally and setting up personal standards of conduct to protect ourselves. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 tells us, See then that you walk circumspectly or carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Redeeming the times comes from a word that means be intentional about how you live. You already know in your heart what God is prompting you to do. You know what is on the other side of the guardrail. All of us have the tendency to get as close as possible. We say, is it a sin to do whatever? But what we're really asking is, how close can I get to sin without sinning? And that's the wrong question. Don't ask, is it right or wrong, but ask, what is the wise thing to do? A big part of this is friends. Friends are one of the biggest influences on where we draw our lines. You will always be around people who are moving in the opposite direction. And you need to be careful because friends or people you're in close proximity to always influence the direction and quality of your life. Today we have people 
on the internet that call themselves influencers. So it's not always people that you're in close proximity to, like as it once was. But waters, I guess you can find, label yourself an influencer without calling out how you're influencing. That's up to the person seeking out the influencer. The thing that makes friendship so great is also the thing that makes friendship so dangerous. We're all repelled by rejection and attracted by acceptance. So when we're around friends who accept us, we drop our guard. It's then that we are most open to influence because acceptance leads to influence. Proverbs 13 and 20 tells us, He that walketh with the wise shall be wise. That's a promise. But a companion of, few, of fools shall be destroyed, and that's a warning. Sometimes you can have warnings. Our society is full of warnings against the obvious. But there's not very many promises. I saw a five-gallon bucket one time. And it had a, uh, a little kid upside down drowning in a five-gallon. Now, if anybody in here has ever had a kid drown in a five-gallon bucket, I, no offense. I have never seen a kid upside down in a five-gallon bucket. And I've never had the urge to eat a Tide Pod. Why do we need warnings for everything? But we don't have a promise of anything. Have you ever, do you remember when you would see a dump truck and it said, stay back 500 feet? Whoever did that? I used to see that and think, stay back, five, how far is 500 feet? <laughs> Am I good? Wise people understand that all of life is connected. There are no isolated incidents. So they make decisions based on tomorrow. Foolish people believe that all of life is disconnected. All are isolated incidents. So they make decisions based on today. Wisdom is contagious, but foolishness is not. Notice the difference. Where it says, however, the companion of fools shall be destroyed. Like getting hit with shrapnel from the destruction of their life, they say, but I'll never do that. And recovery, we call that denial. There's a pretty good example of this found in Scripture, which that's why we have Scripture. It's found in Numbers 16, beginning with verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of 
Peleth. These weird names are about to stop. Sons of Reuben took men and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation and men of renown. They're what you might call companions of fools. See, it says they were princes of the assembly. They were men of renown. That means not only stupid people get drug in. Disgruntled people have a way of finding each other. Verse 3, And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and said unto them, You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Isn't it strange how when somebody wants to take over, they start talking about how good everybody else is? Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation. See, Korah wanted to be high priest. He had age and he had money. And he did not like Aaron being appointed high priest. And drop down to verse 9, Moses speaking. Seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel hath separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation and minister to them. See, Korah had a job. He wasn't standing by doing nothing. His, uh, the sons of Kohath were responsible for moving the sacred articles, including the ark, from camp to camp. There were different groups of the Levites that different families within the Levites that were responsible. Some of them moved the, the canvas. Some moved the actual tent. Others moved the beams that held it up in place. And the sons of Kohath were responsible for moving the sacred objects from place to place. Verse 11. For which cause both thou and thy company are gathered together, or I'm sorry, him, and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi with thee, and seek ye the priesthood also? In this case, ambition is the enemy of obedience. He already had standing, but he wanted more. 11, or 12, I'm sorry. Now, let's go 11. For which cause both thou and thy company are gathered together against the Lord? And what is Aaron that she murmur against him? This is Moses talking. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, which said, we will not come up. Isn't that just about right? The folks that help stir up trouble stay home at the last minute. There were actually 
Well, let me read the next one first. <laughs> 13. Is it a small thing? Now this is Dathan and Abiram talking. Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us out of a land that floweth with milk and honey? They're talking about Egypt. Kill us in the wilderness. Except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us. See, there are two rebellions in one going on. One is from Korah. The other is from these two. They had a beef with Moses. Acts 7 tells us about, in verse 25, tells us about Moses. He says, and, For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, your brethren, why do you wrong one to another? Verse 27, But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Now, if you read much Jewish history, it will tell you the Jews hold with Dathan and Abiram were taskmasters in Egypt. See, the, the language is the same. Who made thee a ruler and judge over us? Except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us. Second Timothy 3 and 8. I don't think I gave you that one. There were two, two of the soothsayers in Egypt named Jans and Jambers. At least that's how the internet said to pronounce their names. They withstood Moses, and the Spirit is the same. And some Jews also say that, you know, if you ever read where there was a mixed multitude within the congregation, some say that these two concealed themselves within that mixed multitude to stir rebellion along the way. Now, the Bible doesn't say that, but the Spirit is the same. So you can make the you could make the case that these people were influencing each other. Now, in this case, ambition can be the enemy of obedience, as we already said. I tell you, and, and I didn't get a picture, but the sons of Kohath, now the Levites camped, there was a camping order when they moved. You didn't just pitch your tent wherever you got tired at. There was an order to things. And around the tabernacle, the Levites camped. The sons of Kohath, it's easy to find on the internet, by the way, if you want to look it up. Anyway, they were right next door to the Reubenites. They were neighbors. So if you think it doesn't matter who you sit by, and who you allow to speak into your life, you're dead wrong. If Satan can't trip you up with the flesh, then he'll use your faith. 
And this most gossip comes from pride, jealousy, boredom, and change. First world problems, I guess you might say. If we were having to uh, post a guard to watch for crocodiles while we drew water, we probably wouldn't talk too bad about each other. <laughs> but, so what's to be learned from this? This epic display of unbelief and disobedience. In this case, disobedience was purged with fire and swallowed up by the world. The 250, which I didn't read that part, I guess maybe I should have. Moses said for those 250 people that allowed themselves to be fooled, he told them to take censors. Maybe that's where Elijah got the idea from. Because he said, Moses said, you know, God will decide. He'll answer by fire who's holy. Now the censors were the Old Testament's foreshadowing of praise. Incense was offered up to God. They were burned with fire, killed, incinerated. But the censors were left. And Moses told the men to go out and gather the censers and empty them out. And they were beaten, changed, transformed, and placed on the altar. So see, that spoke to me in that, because I thought, God, why, why did you choose this way? And this is kind of a getting out in the weeds away from where I need to be, but... I've thought and thought about it, prayed about it. God, what did that mean? Why, why did you choose that? Why that? And what I could come up with was all kinds of people can praise. What kind of spirit do you have to have to praise? Now, whether he accepts it or not, that's a different story. But the vessel, what does he say? He's going, the sons he's going to accept, he purges. And if he doesn't purge them, what are they, Brother Moss? They're bastards and not sons. The spirit was burned away, gone. The vessel was transformed and made part of the altar. That tells me that repentance and sacrifice is more important than ungodly praise. He said it was supposed, every time they look at that, they're supposed to, it's supposed to be a lesson for Israel. Something for them to see. But in contrast, that was kind of a sad story. Because all the wrongdoers were dealt with swiftly. Exodus 18 gives us a story in contrast. 18 and verse 13. Anyway, and it came to pass on the morrow that Moses, and, and Moses is to me, if I don't, I don't know what we're going to do in heaven, 
I haven't got a schedule of events. But at some point, I want to find Moses. Because Moses is a man. Moses, I, I just want to, I just want to get close to that guy. <laughs> I don't know what it's going to be like. I may be talking stupid, but anyway, some of the stuff he did. Anyways, and it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou here thyself alone? And all the people stand by thee from morning until evening. Verse 15, Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter... Verse 16, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another. And I do make them know the statutes of God and His laws. Verse 17, and Moses' father-in-law, he said unto him, The thing thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee, not only you, but the people you're responsible for. For this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself. Hearken now unto my voice. I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. And then he goes through setting up rulers, Picking up good men, you know, that fear the Lord. All this business. Good advice. And he says, uh, in verse 22, the last part of that says, and they shall bear the burden with thee. Now, until you are involved in some capacity other than showing up at 10 o'clock and sitting on the pew, you don't know the gravity of that statement. And I'm not knocking showing up and sitting on the pew. But I'm saying, this stuff doesn't just happen. Fairies don't come in at night and clean the church and get everything together. Side note. So Moses, verse 24, hearkened unto the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Now I did sort of question, this was after Sinai, And I questioned, why didn't God just tell him? God told him everything else. Said he talked to him face to face. I believe that's because it's, in the, it's a lesson unto us. The same reason why all these other things are, are recorded. For our admonition is what the Scripture says. That's something I rolled around. That doesn't have any real great point. <laughs> Jethro's advice to Moses. Now, I questioned at first when I began reading this if this was real. I thought this is a fantasy story. Because what in-laws show up, give good advice, and leave? <laughs> None of y'all are my in-laws, so I can say that. 
So, anyway. <laughs> yeah, disappoint. Jethro's advice to Moses was wise. Now, who was Jethro? I love that name, too. We should name my son Jethro. <laughs> yeah, Jethro and Moses. Jethro was a Semite, but he was not a Hebrew. That means he took his line, came from Abraham, but he wasn't of the promise. This also speaks to the humanity of Moses. And it shows us that no matter how good we think we are, we still need advice from wise people. No matter how much you're used, you need to be careful about who you allow to speak into your life. Who you get your ideology from. Who you take your advice from. Because if you notice, the bad advice came from people in the congregation. That's a hard one to explain. Nobody wants to hear that. People that were being used were toxic. That's what the Bible said. So how do you how do you control or how do you guess or guide? I mean, guidelines are given for this type of thing. It's in all walks of your life, God has, has laid out plans. Nothing's by chance. Ephesians 4, 29. And this is not only what's coming into your life, but this is what's spoken into other lives. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearer. Communication there, that word is logos. A word is embodying an idea, a statement, a speech. Thayer's Greek lexicon says this, it's a word, yet not in the grammatical sense, equivalent to vocabulum, the mere name of an object. But language, vox, means a sentiment or an idea. In effect, a word which uttered by the living voice embodies a concept or an idea. So that means our words to each other are not just words. You speak a concept into your brother's life. Is it truth or evil? What does it embody? Is it building up or tearing down? We're talking about speaking into each other's lives. 1 Corinthians 14 and 3. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. Sometimes we, when we see prophesieth, we, we automatically think a message in tongues. That's not what this means. Not only what this means. Prophecy means to break forth, 
under sudden impulse in lofty discourse or in praise or divine counsels, under the like prompting to teach, refute, reprove, admonish, and comfort others. I remember somewhere about in the last days, saith God, He would pour out His Spirit and your sons and your daughters would prophesy. So, I guess all you guys that think that women need to raise their hand before they say anything, you may need to look at that a little closer. <laughs> what if we place this standard on our conversation between each other? Hebrews 3 and 13. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. And what that means while it is called today, a time for embracing salvation that is graciously offered. So every day, I don't coast. I don't take a day off. This is every day. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That deserves a second look. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. He's not writing to the world. He's writing to the church. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 11 says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also you do, which means as you have been doing. Now that comfort does not mean a nice chair to sit in. Sometimes we look at that, at least I do. And if I'm not careful, I think, well, why am I having issues? What's, what about all this comfort business? What? We get it backwards because our culture tells us Comfort, comfort, easy, easy. Work hard, you're stupid. Crazy talk. That's not, that's not from the Bible. That's not what this is saying. This is not the comfort pillow. Matter of fact, it's backwards because the Bible says the blessings of God lead to repentance. And he says what? He chastens and purifies the sons he's going to receive. So look at Moses. Look how much trouble he had. Does that mean he was out of the will of God? He had one issue after another. He had betrayals of his own people, his own kin. What were they going to do with him? Were they going to kill him? 2 Corinthians 1 and 4. Who comforted us who comforteth, <laughs> comforteth, yeah. It's my glasses. That's in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. Do you get that? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. 
Blake, I hope I hope everything's going good. I'll see you. Is that what God does to me? You know? Do are we really invested in each other? Or are we do we take time? That's what we sacrifice the most of in this modern day. Yeah, we all give money. You'll make more money. You're not going to make more time. So how invested are we in each other? When we're allowing people to speak into our lives and when we speak into other people's lives. Did you notice that Moses told Korah at the end of one of those verses, now you're speaking against God. In another place it caused the words used are tabernacle of Korah. So this is the habitation you made. You've left the tabernacle because you're toxic. That doesn't mean people jump up and run out the back door, but in our minds and in our hearts, are we really showing forth the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted? Romans 8. Who is he that condemneth? Is it Christ that died? Yea, rather, that he is risen. It's, it's a bigger thing that he rose than he died, is what he's saying. Who is even at the right hand of God? Some people get that confused. The right hand of God means it's always a term embodying strength and offense. Who also maketh intercession for us. The offensive, offensive, not offensive, offensive side of God is making intercession for you. Thirty-five, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Drop down to verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. What does that mean? What's that talking about? More than conquerors. All those actions in 35 describe what conquerors do. They bring tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness. They take when a place is conquered, the population's conquered. Your livelihood's gone until the conqueror tells you what your new livelihood is. Peril, sword, loss of life. We are more than conquerors through our communication with each other. Conquerors tear apart. They kill. They destroy. And your words can do the same. Whether or not you are going to bring together, whether you're going to join people together and you're going to become part of a cause, 
or if you're going to be in open rebellion. You can't be sort of, am I building my brother up? Or are my words tearing him down? What if God brings that up in judgment? That's something we don't want to think about. What if he says yes? Well, maybe that's, could that be part of what that says? I never knew you. Depart from me. Maybe, I don't know. I'm guessing. I'm not going to try to say that that's what's going to happen. But could it be? Could at that last day he say, you had the opportunity to pull this person back from the brink and you crushed them. We need to be more mindful and, and God's you know, been talking to me about this for quite a long time and no offense to any person, but my circle's gotten smaller. When I'm going to teach like now or on Thursday nights, there's certain people I don't talk to. There's certain people I don't want speaking into my life because what they are going to tell me is contrary to the things of God. And I use the Scripture to say, is it going to edify, exhort, or comfort? That's, I mean, that's what He gave us these things for. We're not supposed to stumble around out here and just let whoever. You're supposed to be the judge of that in your life, in your home. Is this going to build up? Is it going to tear down? I strayed from the lesson, and I apologize for that. I was supposed to talk to you about sex and money. <laughs> I got a kick out of it. The guy with six kids wanted me to talk to you about sex. And if it took $1,000 to get to heaven, I wouldn't make it much past Walmart, so I don't know if my advice on money would be very good either. Anyway, let's try to be better to each other. Let's try to help each other. We don't know what another person is going through. And just a word, something small to you might be something huge somebody else. It's 1040. Get your drink of water. We'll be back in a minute.